Ghost Ship Radio Network. Sail onward. What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 24 of the Adjacent Hex Podcast. My name is Zach. And struggling to lift the latest Kickstarter crate to arrive is Doug. How's it going, man? Oh, I think I threw out my back. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, that last one was pretty big. <laughs> so, uh, we'll talk about it later in the show, but I got my uh, Rising Sun Kickstarter, and I've never gotten a, a Simon box before, and it's just gigantic. I, I, put a, I, I have pictures. I don't know if I tweeted them or not. Yeah, you did. It, the whole stack, and that is just one game. Yeah. Like... That's unbelievable. Yeah, we'll get to that later in the show, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's been on the, the new plays for you, man? Well, I want to talk about some old stuff first. Okay. Uh, stuff we actually talked about real quick. Just kind of rush it off. Uh, so the first one, Descent. Yes. Uh, we started the Descent campaign. Okay. Uh, I've talked about Descent on the show before, but this is interesting because it's the first time I've played Descent as a hero. Oh. In, instead of Overlord. Yeah. And uh, we're only a quest and a half into our campaign. Uh, we're meeting every couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of fun, and Sikori and Jess love Descent, and they have all of the expansions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They paint them. They go all out. There are so many good heroes to pick from. We, we each picked an archetype, and then we got handed a stack of heroes from which to choose that fit that archetype. Okay. So like, so I'm playing like a scout type character. Uh, I ended up with like an elvish ranger. Interesting. Our whole group, all four heroes, we all picked elves independently. Uh-huh. So our whole group is elves. Huh. Um, but it was just surprising to see how many good choices there are in that game. And the other thing is, it's really stressful as a hero. How so? Like we won. The heroes won. Uh, the first campaign. Mm-hmm. Or the first. Uh, quest, yep, yep. and we're halfway through the second, but there's a natural breaking point, so we kind of hit pause on it. Okay. Uh, but we sort of steamrolled through, and that's how it looks like in the result, but it doesn't feel like we're steamrolling. It feels like we're always right on the verge of losing horribly, even when we're doing well, uh, in a fun way, yeah, in a yeah, good competitive way. And, and that's a game where the heroes aren't supposed to win every time. Right. You know, it's it's not like a hero quest where like if the heroes lose, that's it. In this, it's more if the heroes lose, the bad guy gets bonuses for later. So it's kind of like the way I do my Sentinels of the Multiverse streams, where the heroes can win or lose. It just advances the story in a different direction. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That that's that's how it's done. Nice. But it's, it's nice to see kind of the campaign. But from the hero's point of view, um, I don't know. I just felt like as the Overlord, I was it was easier to accept a loss. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like the bad guy should lose. Yeah, sure, of course. From the hero's point of view, it just feels like, uh, not stressful in a bad way, but uh, in a way that surprised me having only played Overboard before. Every time I take a loss when I'm doing my streams, Mm -hmm. it still hurts. Because, (laughs) like, okay, maybe I'm not making the perfect plays, the correct plays, whatever you want to call it. I'm making the the flavorful play. Like, if, if I feel like a hero would would perform a certain action, that's the action mm-hmm. I'm going to take, whether it's the the strategically correct play or not. So you more RPG it in yes. that regard. 
And okay. but even still, like even knowing that, I get upset. I get sad when I don't win. Because yeah. from the hero's yeah. perspective, you want the villain to fall every single time. Right. Right. Even if thematically the story is better if the villain wins, which I've had yeah. happen a number of times. Yeah. That that's a good point too, is that if if we went through this whole campaign of descent and Corey, who's playing the Overlord, never once wins, uh-huh. it probably won't be as good of a campaign, right? As if it's much more back and forth, right? You know, and and I say this like we're, I mean, steamrolling is his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually only won the first quest. The second quest, we're only halfway done, so he could still pull something off and wreck us. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's interesting. And so I just thought I'd bring that up, uh, different perspective. Uh, still really enjoy that game. I like the dungeon crawl. It'll be interesting to hear how that campaign p- plays out over the next few months. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I probably won't I won't delve too deep, but I will uh, I might do like little notes every time we play. Kind of the way I do Arkham. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Exactly like that. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Yeah. Here's a game that you own, you brought over. I finally got to play Raxon. Yeah, we've been talking about that a bunch. A bunch. It's... Fun to finally play with someone who's willing to sort of think on the same level that I am. Okay, so we won. We did, finally. And it was the first first game you've won of that, yes. right? Yep. It was by the skin of our teeth. Oh, it sure was. I mean, it wasn't down to, like, the last card. In all fairness, I made a bad misplay in the second round. Yep. Just because I wasn't clear on the rules. That probably made it a little closer than it needed to be. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, but we still... It was it was a tight game, but we pulled out the victory. Well, we we played sort of the easy version, and it's a game now that I've played and have a game under my belt. I'd like to sink my teeth into because yeah. there were there were aspects of the game that I didn't even touch, and clearly there's other avenues and ways to play and other things that can happen. Uh, so I feel like there's more to explore there. I mean, we even pulled out a bunch of both positive characters and negative characters, like they're. Mm-hmm. We, we were really just running on bare bones. And, you know, that's part of what makes Raxon sort of my f- go-to weeknight. Like, I don't have much time to play, but I want to play a game. Game mm-hmm. Because you can just boil it down to that bare bones introductory ch- challenge and still have it be a challenge. Well, yeah, I think you taught me the game and we played. We got the whole thing done in under an hour. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I love that about it. It's, it's nice to have those kind of games. Um, third game that I tried, it's new to me, but you've discussed on the show a lot, mm-hmm. uh, Spirit Island. Oh, yes. I finally got to try, sort of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we probably could have done a rule errors episode based on that game alone. Yep, we sure could have. Uh, but in the two attempts at playing it, I got a really good flavor for the game mm-hmm. and uh, really want to try it again. Really liked it. It's been a lot of fun. I think we got closer to how the game is actually supposed to play out this time. And I did talk to <laughs> our former producer, Jody. Uh, she gave me a couple of pointers and... I think next time I set it up, I'll have a better handle on it. But um, yeah, I mean, we definitely got closer and a good feel for the way that it works. Yeah. Well, and I was talking to Tom about it too, because uh, I told the story. He bought the game and he's mm-hmm. played a bunch. He's played maybe ten times. Good grief! And uh, I mean, it's worth playing that was, many times. Like it's that good. <laughs> oh, he! I don't even know how he does it. He he's like, I got this game for Christmas, and then two days later, he's like, Yeah, I've played it six times already. How? How do you? Do He's a teacher that? too, isn't he? 
He is a teacher, yeah. Tom, uh, I I would love to know how you find your free time. He's he's got he's got I think he's got uh some family nearby that are also very much into the hobby. Oh, okay. Um, and we've we've got a lot of people around here in the hobby, but we've got so much going on. Yeah. Uh, although, in all fairness, it's only been a couple of weeks since we recorded our last one, mm-hmm. and we both put together a list. So my uh, my New Year's resolution to get more things to the table. And we've definitely been holding to it so far. Yeah, doing really well. Uh, so anyway, Spirit Island. I was also talking to him because I picked the the water demon yes i don't remember its name the river one yeah uh and it's it's sort of a control spirit Mm -hmm. uh he said that's actually one of his least favorite well okay Uh, good to know i mean maybe it doesn't fit his play style i was enjoying it but he recommended i try the ocean one next time the ocean one's pretty cool from what i hear water yeah so i have i i don't know though like because there's a lot of really cool gods Mm mm-hmm the spirits and i'm on that i'm in that good bad decision to make uh or good problem to have area yeah where i kind of want to stick with the one that i played the first two games with so i'm a little familiar and maybe i can learn it and get a little better but at the other hand there's so many cool spirits i'd like to try other things yeah at the same time like i kind of want to get to a point where i can win the game with the basic like the the ones that are labeled for introductory play Right, you know? right. Which which we both used, right? Yeah, we all three of us did. So anyway, based on my my two plays, I, I would recommend it. I oh, really absolutely. enjoyed that game. Yeah, that was. Uh, it is a challenge, though. Oh, it sure is. You don't want to go into it like expecting to play it right the first time. Like everybody yeah. I've heard yeah. has said that hasn't you know learned it at a convention and then just played it immediately has said you're gonna make mistakes. Like this this. I mean, I I even went right to the source. And, right. you know, people were telling people at, at greater than games were telling me it's not a game that you are going to learn on your first play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, even Tom, uh, one of the discussions we had was because we I was discussing the rule mistakes we'd made and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I talked about this, too. But he said after after 10 games, he was looking in the rule book for something and realized he had like two or three rules wrong. Right. Uh, so but they're not. I mean, if you're bringing the game to the table ten times, you're enjoying it. And I've, I've brought it to the table now four times, I think, and so I'm definitely enjoying yeah. it too. I'm I'm enjoying learning by making mistakes. Yeah, and it's better in a co-op for uh-huh. that. Yeah, too. definitely, definitely. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I would definitely like to get that back to the table, and then when we get those rules right, kind of update. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so. You know, we we tell our students all the time that fail stands for first attempt in learning. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I definitely came away from that. Every single time I've sat down with Spirit Island, I come away from it thinking, I learned something here. Yeah. So good news on that front. Yeah. Um. Okay, the next game on my list is one that was new to both of us. Mm-hmm. You want to take the lead on Subterra? I sure can. So this there, there was a period of time last year where I think it was right after I got my big balloon check at the end of the school year mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, hey, I've got a little bit extra cash kicking around. I'm going to back some Kickstarters and just see what happens so i saw this one going a little bit nuts called subterra and you know it wasn't expensive so i was like okay let's let's jump on board and when it comes in we'll just we'll give it a shot and if it's not any good i'll give it to eric or something like that um (laughs) because you know how eric thinks um Mm -hmm. and it cost me about 70 bucks and i got easily that much worth a game and more yeah yeah well you you got a bunch you got some Kickstarter exclusives and an expansion or two. Too, yeah, right? three expansions. Three expansions, yeah. 
So Subterra is a caving game where you it's it's a tile laying and exploration game uh, in the same scale as Carcassonne, but your job is to escape a collapsing and, for lack of a better description, exploding cave that has all the sorts of pitfalls and traps that you would expect a cave to have. Things like rock slides and weird, you know, supernatural monsters and things like that, because obviously why wouldn't a board game have supernatural monsters? (laughs) Um, And we got trapped. We got trapped hard. Um, The adage of don't split up the party from Dungeons and Dragons and any other RPG (sighs) is doubly relevant in Subterra. Okay, so you and I played... Mm -hmm. It was just the two of us, but it's co-op, and we each played two characters. Yep. And we broke the team up into two parties of two. Assuming that we would be able to explore more of the cave that way. Right, and then join together later. Like, we figured we could just build the path back to itself. <laughs> uh-uh. Not, not, a, not even a chance. So, it was the first time playing. Yep. And when we shuffled the tiles, we made different piles of tiles. Which was an mistake. everything just kept coming up with the same tile over and over again yeah that's what ended up happening instead of getting like a tile that was just safe passage Mm -hmm. and then a tile that was safe passage and then something hazardous and then a tile that was safe passage it was danger after danger after after danger. danger and we played by the right rules but we got stomped oh gosh it was brutal and like I looked through it again, and I don't think we did anything wrong. And I watched a video, and it seemed like exactly the right way to play. Well, we had the rules right there. We looked things up yep. when we, whenever we weren't sure. I mean, as far as I know, we, we did pretty well in the rules for that one. Mm-hmm. We just... And we had a great wow. team. Like, it, there's a little bit of nonlinearity in terms of your caver has a different power. We had, like, a scout and a, a medic mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a soldier. And we were like, okay, yeah, this is a pretty balanced team. We're... we're equipped to keep each other alive no not even no. a chance one person went down and then the monster just sat on her head yeah it's pretty it's like insta death yeah for it, most it is characters when a monster gets them now you can revive that person but you have to make them make them get the monster out of there first you have to lure the monster away and you have to, it is it is challenging it's very this is challenging. not a game where you sit there and blow things away with your shotgun. This is a game where you see a monster and you run the other direction. Yep. yep. Absolutely. <laughs> I, it's survival horror in a board game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was, I mean, it, it's really fun. I would I would love to get this back to the table and just try to survive a little longer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If nothing else. I think maybe maybe we boil it down to just the base box. and. Um... Well, I think, I think the tile... Uh, the lack, it being the first game and the lack of shuffling on our part really hurt us. Yeah, absolutely. Because there was no time to recover. And also, like, when we got those monsters, instead of getting one monster spawn pit, we got, like, three in a row. Yeah, we got a bunch. All in the same area. And they just... It, it was scary. It was. <laughs> like, if you if you put yourself in the role of your character, you're underground, and all of a sudden monster pits, they're breaking out of the walls from three directions, mm-hmm. murdering you. I mean, it was it was not a happy ending for our team. No, it wasn't. Uh, that said, it was really fun, and I would definitely play it again. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, so it's mostly, it's, like you said, cave exploration, tiling. Yep. And, uh... 
action point allocation. It, it reminded me a little of a game. There was a game a few years ago that, that I've always had my eye on, but I've never uh, pulled the trigger on, nor have I played, called The Cave. Mm-hmm. And in that, you played Springlunkers. Is that is that what they're called? Yep, that's Cave uh, Divers. Cave yeah. Divers. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> Vocabulary <laughs> with Doug. <laughs> Just don't ask me what K2 is. Uh that's Kilimanjaro, right? <laughs> but uh, so so in that game, you played a cave explorer, and you earned points for finding natural resources and like taking pictures of them and stuff. Right. And you had a backpack, and you had ropes and air tanks, and you had to like get further into the cave, but then you had to retreat back to restock at camp and then go back out there. Right. Initially, Subterra kind of reminded me of that. Like, you'd be going through a cave, and then you'd reach a ledge. Mm-hmm. You needed a rope so you could climb up or down. Then you'd get to water, and you'd have to swim through it. Right. Uh, but in this game, instead of taking pictures and earning points, you got murdered by a monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was fun, but it was, it was, it was a challenge. Yeah. It was a challenge. Exactly. Um, You've got a couple things on your list here. Yeah, so I've recently been hanging out with some non-gamers on Tuesday nights, just every other week because Katie's working late and I just, I need something to do to occupy my mind to prevent (laughs) me from going insane. And so we've started hanging out at a local uh, eatery and we've been bringing along little party games with us. Mm. Now, anybody who listens to the show knows that I am not the biggest fan of things like Cards Against Humanity. Uh, and when that was brought up, I kind of may have pitched a little fit uh, and said, <laughs> I, I don't want to play that game because I'm just sick of it. It's just yeah, so you've played that to death. Yeah. closed ended and it doesn't allow for the, um, the creativity that other party games do. So someone said, all right, if we're not going to play Cards Against Humanity, what are we going to play? And someone else brought out uh, a game called If You Had To. It's, if you had to. It's by the okay. company uh, Drunk Stone or Stupid. And it's just another simple party game. Another simple, you have cards in your hand, you need to match to some situation, and you need to know the person who's putting it down. It was really silly. Because not only does it allow you to... I mean, it, it, it certainly closes you off. And I think there's some limitation to how many times you can play that game. But each player has to it is basically presented with a list of things that they that nobody wants to do ever and you have to pick the one you would least like to do and they're all they're donated by the the other players the least like to do or most or i'm sorry yes most like to do you you would most the one you would do under extreme duress okay if you had to pick one of these gun to your head this is the one you pick yeah and what what the game encourages you to do is if you want more information you don't ask the player who put it down because that would obviously skew your your vote uh, in one direction or another. You ask the entire group mm. to for more information about a specific card. So, do you have like an example um, of how? I because this is a family friendly podcast and the game is not particularly family <laughs> okay. friendly. I'm not so going to go into an example, but okay. let's just say a couple of beers and a few rounds in, things got weird. Okay. <laughs> Things got weird. There was definitely some lizard skin involved and a bucket of poop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it got messy. At the same time? Oh, yes. Oh. And Tom Brady. <laughs> so, uh, needless to say, I- I've been playing a bunch more of these little party games. And okay. 
you know, it's it's nice to see that uh, a group of game of people who is who are not inherently gamers are finding enjoyment in them. And I'm hoping as we progress that I can bring things like Leaders of Euphoria, which is good cop, bad cop or right. Love Letter or something like that to sort of ramp up the or sort of bridge the gap between my level of gaming and theirs and sort of find a happy medium. We'll see how that works. See how that goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think let's see. Next time, maybe bring Fortress America. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, the gallerist. There you go. <laughs> oh, I was thinking Twilight Struggle. Ah, something nice and quick and short. Yeah, it's real, real easy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in other news, I finally got the release version of Sentinel Comics the RPG to the table. I'm not going to go into super detail because it's not strictly a board game, but it was a lot of fun and my players well, I, handled it. I think it's okay. I mean, I've talked about Ten Candles and um, other game okay well i mean we've only had one session so far so I, i'll probably just save that for another month um but let's just okay. say that it it worked really well the story was really riveting and our players handled it really nicely it really takes the idea of a rpg and boils it down to uh, almost a bare uh, almost its essence and applies the sentinels of the multiverse world over it perfectly streamlined so okay i have a question yeah uh, so you know my buddy Rob. Yes. Um, big RPG guy. Yep. And he posted a question on on Twitter recently, mm-hmm. but he's a huge RPG guy, and he was asking for an RPG that was easy to learn and good for beginners, but had like enough meat on it for seasoned RPGers at the same time. We played it with three beginners, and they got it. Okay. They okay. rocked it. Uh, the, the characters, so out of the starter kit, the characters you get are the Freedom 5 plus Unity. Okay. So they're very relatable characters anyway, and you uh, you just basically react, it, it basically tells you how to react. But it allows you the creativity to do things like my my buddy Jared uh, was protecting the Akash Flora tree, and I don't want, I don't want to give too much away because if people are going to play that. Um, mm-hmm. He basically blasted it with, a, with his cold gun as Absolute Zero. And put up an ice shield around it, and I was like, okay. "That's awesome! That's exactly the kind of thing Absolute Zero would do." Yeah. So, is there a way to make your own hero too, if you were interested? Not yet, because I, I remember, for some reason in my head, hearing that there was going to be that feature down the mm-hmm. road. Uh, so the Kickstarter for that goes up, I would imagine, like April or May or something like that. Right, or probably okay. probably right after Oblivion is done shipping. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry to bring up another sore subject. <laughs> No, it's fine. It's not. It's not really uh, that sore. We 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 are no, it's we are not sore, anxiously no. waiting. We know that uh, Chinese New Year is, is what's holding things up right now. But yeah, well, I've got a lot of stuff to play. Yeah, in the meantime, I do too. Anyway, I do so. too. Uh, okay, let's see what else. We so had, we've got we had one more that we, you and I played together. Yeah. So you were saying Raxon is sort of your bring it out, teach it, get a game in under an hour. Yeah, at least it has been of late. Right, of late. Okay, uh, but I brought over to your house. Uh, a game called Escape the Dark Castle. That game is sick. <laughs> that is a lot of fun. So on this one, I happened to just come across it. I didn't know anything about it, but I was on Kickstarter right after it was launched, mm-hmm. and I grabbed the early bird special. Um, and so I got a, a Kickstarter edition, which just comes with a handful of extra cards mm-hmm. and stuff. It, uh, like one die and some nothing that is makes the game exceptionally different. Yeah. But adds just a little more flavor and spice is sort of a thank you. But uh, so anyway, Escape the Dark Castle. It's a cooperative game. Each player takes a character and they get one die 
and then you have a dungeon of the starting card and 15 dungeon cards and the bottom monster which switches up all the cards switch up and you play it it's sort of a tribute to the old uh text-based computer games yes and and so there aren't any turns all players play simultaneously but the decision is made that who flips over the next card yeah because sometimes really bad things happen to that person. <laughs> yes, absolutely true. And you know, it was it was my character's undoing. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Somewhere in the yeah. middle of the game, um, I, I ended up I ended up surviving until the boss fight at the very end of the deck. But mm-hmm. um, boo hoo, I, I didn't last beyond that. So technically, we lost that game. Yep. Because if any player dies, uh, the object is to escape the dark castle. Yeah. Uh, I thought I would just say that it's sort of in the title. But you never know. Right. Uh, but everybody has to do it in order to win as a group. And we made it to the end boss. And But when we got there, it was like, I think Joff and I had three hit points and you had two. Yep. It was not pretty. We were so beat up. And then you died. Joff and I ended up, through a series of very lucky rolls, actually beating him because we decided to finish the game. Yep. But technically, it was a loss. Mm-hmm. However, in a similar vein, because I enjoyed that one so much, I broke out my copy of One Deck Dungeon. Uh, which actually plays really similarly. Um, you have specific dice that represent a specific skill, and you are an adventurer going through a dungeon. Uh, you can turn over different enemy cards or different trap cards and things like that, and you and, and each one has a dice value that your your job is to overcome it. So I've been playing a bunch of that lately. It's super quick and plays solo. Yeah, I don't think I'm familiar with one deck. I'll have to show you it. It's really simple, and uh, yeah, you're you're just you choose your. Uh, your warrior, you can be a rogue, you can be a fighter, you can be a paladin, whatever. You know, standard D&D style characters. And yeah. each one has a special ability. You know, sometimes it's just roll more dice, sometimes it's get extra special dice. And it's it's just super fun. Yeah, it's got a 30 to 45 minute playtime. Yep. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, that looks pretty... And yeah, actually, I'm looking at it. It's pretty... It looks different. It looks different enough, but I the same vein, mm-hmm. sort of as uh, escape the dark castle which i'm glad i backed i i might end up springing for the expansion after all yeah uh, and you know i i have one deck dungeon i think i have the expansion too but like mm-hmm. i don't it's one of those ones that i don't feel the need to expand upon yeah i don't think i need the expansion but well, I, it's a strange thing because i obviously i backed escape the dark castle mm-hmm. And I, I was hoping I would like it, yeah. but I, I I liked it way more than I was expecting to. Yeah. You know what I mean? For such a simple little game. Exactly. That, again, I taught in about a minute, and then when you, Joff, and I played a game in about half an hour. Yeah. So. But it's, it's those games that you don't necessarily need to expand that really make you think twice about the games you're, you're sort of picking up and backing on Kickstarter, and the ones that are just huge huge and i think that kind of brings us to our main topic today and yeah well okay yeah so i got rising sun yeah uh first i'm going to talk about rising sun really quick yeah that game it's it's from simon it's uh the samurais in feudal japan battling game sort of the spiritual successor to blood rage i've got to play two games a three and four player game Mm -hmm. absolutely loving the game yeah. The minis are gorgeous. The map is gorgeous. The art is gorgeous. It is challenging, but 
the final scores are closer than you'd expect them to be. There are so many decisions to be made that you just don't know what to do. Yeah. So where Blood Rage is kind of like worker placement with combat, uh-huh. uh, Rising Sun is more a build an army, dudes on a map, moving around from territory to territory type game. Uh-huh. But it's got really interesting. So it's played in different phases. The first thing that happens is called the tea ceremony. And what happens during the tea ceremony is people negotiate and they make alliances that last for one round. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being good because the next phase is called the political phase. And you pick these tiles and you play one. And everybody gets to do something. So if you harvest, for example, everybody playing the game gets a coin. Uh-huh. But the person who played the card gets a special bonus. And in that case, you collect the resources of whatever province you control. Uh-huh. Your ally also gets those bonuses huh so when you ally with somebody you can really help both people and so you kind of have to you make alliances hoping to kind of build bring both of you up and then uh you're hoping to do just a little bit better than the other person right so you have that tea ceremony phase then you do the the seven rounds or or seven turns of uh, of the mandate phase and every now and then those are broken up with the kami phase which are you pray to the temples the gods in the temples at the top of the board and those grant you bonuses if you have control of a temple you might earn two coins or two ronin or you might get to move some extra characters uh whatever it is and then after after all that's done you go into the war phase and the war phase is super interesting because everybody takes their stack of coins and you hide behind a screen and you bid on what you do. Huh. You can do things like uh, seppuku. You can kill your own units <laughs> to gain victory points. You know, as you do. But that doesn't take you out of the combat because if you can also outbid somebody on Ronin, you can use your Ronin tokens to still win the combat even though you killed all of your monsters and characters. Huh. And then there's like you can earn points for everybody that died in combat and if you outbid, you can earn those points whether you won or lost. Uh-huh. Uh you can take other people hostage and it's got a really interesting thing, reparations. Whoever loses the combat gets the money that the winner spent. So if you and I are going up against each other and I spend six coins and you spend eight coins and you ended up winning, yep. I would lose my six coins, but then I would get your eight. Huh. And so it really, there's just so, it, it's almost hard to talk about. I have actually wrote a few things down, yep. just things I wish I had known the first time I played. Yep. Because I'm not one who suffers from analysis paralysis. Right. But there are just so many decisions to be made. Nothing overly complicated, but you're not always sure what you want to do. A lot of things look good, and you get, you have to make the most of your turns. Uh, so the first thing is people tend to take a lot of time, at least in the two games I've played. Yep. The box says 90 minutes to two hours. I would give yourself at least three hours for your first game. Good gosh. Yeah, so the first game I played was a three-player game. That took us about three. The next game I played was a four-player game, and that took us about four hours. Good, great. Three and a half, actually. Yeah, uh, you're engaged the whole time, though. It's absolutely awesome. Nice. Uh, because 
everything everyone does affects you somehow. So even when you're doing the combat, it's not you have units in a place, I have units in a place, we're enemies, let's fight. Right. It's at the beginning of the round, you select a certain number of areas depending on the number of players, and that's where the combat's going to be. So if you have a unit, those those areas are each worth victory points for winning there. Yeah. But they're also, if you can collect enough different tiles of different colors, because there's eight provinces, they're worth bonus points at the end of the game. So if you're able to like swoop in in a contested area, but nobody else is there, you just get those points. Right. And, and the fights go in order. Things go from left to right. And it's so interesting because you have so much information, but it's still not apparent what you need to be doing. Huh. Uh, but all in a good way. I'm making that sound really stressful, but it's really engaging and fun. Well, I mean, sometimes that's exactly how that plays out. Yeah. Well, I had a battle in the second game where I had 10 coins and the person I was going up against had 19. Uh-huh. So they could block me out. But we were talking it over, and it's all hidden information. But we were talking about it out loud, and we figured out at least four separate ways that battle, the outcome of the battle could go based on where we put our money and stuff. And then uh, uh, other Zach, uh, D Knight's cousin Zach, yep. Dan's cousin, said I was, I was against him in that battle, and he was like, this battle alone has sold me on this game. Nice. It's like I've heard compared to uh, Cyclades and I've heard it compared to Nexus Ops but I haven't played either of those for, right. so for me it's like nothing I've played it's really awesome That's dudes sick. on a map game um, but a couple of things I just wrote down for uh, people is get ready to move because you get bonuses on, by having different color tiles at the end of the game mm-hmm. so winning the same territory over and over and turtling isn't going to get you the points you need to win. Okay. So you've got to be ready to move, but potentially you could only move one or two times around. Okay. You really have to be careful with what you do. Um, don't ignore the honor track. There's an honor track, and whoever's higher on the list breaks ties. It's the tiebreaker, essentially. Okay. So, like those temples that give you bonuses. If we each have one unit there, we have one force each, same amount. Yep. Whoever's higher on the honor track gets that bonus. But the same thing goes when you're in alliance with somebody. Instead of fighting them, whoever has more force just gets the victory points. And if they're tied, honor wins. Uh, it comes up in a surprising amount. You know how some games there's like an honor track but it only shows up like once or twice a game. Yep, Railways of Germany comes to mind. It's super important, so don't ignore the honor track. Uh, pay attention to your opponent's ability. Some of them are particularly, like the Fox Clan, uh, wherever they don't have a unit at the start of the war phase, yep. they can just put a guy down. Huh. So in the first game, for example, Corey was playing the Fox Clan, and he retreated people, and I could have moved into that spot. He'd abandoned but I decided not to because I really wanted to hold the one I was in. Right. And I thought if nobody contests it, nobody gets the victory points. It just goes off the board. Right. Well, at the start of the war phase, he just dropped a guy in there. So he ended up getting it uncontested. I did something similar as the Turtle Clan. I summoned a, a stronghold. And the Turtle Clan's power is that their strongholds count as one force. So I was able to drop it in an uncontested area and win a free point. So you really need to be paying attention to your uh, opponent's powers. Uh, plan your purchases carefully. It looks like there's a lot of stuff to buy, but you're going to get 
only a handful of purchases in a game. Yep. The second game, we only had two purchases from the shop each the entire game. So don't buy things thinking, oh, I'll get this now and I'll be able to scoop that up later and scoop that up because it may not come up again. And then not all battles are equal. You have to choose wisely depending on areas you need, depending on order of play. It's a real possible strategy. Yep. You go and challenge someone, deliberately throw the fight just so you can get their money so that you can win a later, more important fight for you. Right. Huh. I mean, it's it, the game is, is just... There is so many avenues of exploration that have gone untouched. Like I said, I've only played it twice, but the two games I played were absolutely so surprisingly different. I can't wait to get this game back to the table nice it's it's un, it's unbelievable <laughs> so good it's so good i'm so happy because we this kind of brings us to our main topic yes so we got the kickstarter version jesse bought it for me it was it was a birthday gift she bought it last year yep. this game is supposed to come out in april which is closer to my birthday early release it, it got out and we ended up getting it in january late january early february yep and uh which is great but my birthday gift came way, way early. Uh, <laughs> but but the thing is, she ended up spending like a whole bunch of money on this game because she got the bells and whistles. We got the Kickstarter edition. We added the expansions. We added the metal coins because you know Jessie and her metal coins. Uh, so I love that. But it wasn't long after playing Rising Sun that I saw a review for a game called Lords of Hellas. Yep. This was also a Kickstarter game, and I saw the Dice Tower review of it, and they compared it to Kemet, which anybody who listens to the show or knows me knows Kemet is one of my favorites. Uh, even though I haven't played it in a while, I need to get it back to the table, but Kemet is one of my favorites. But I remember seeing Lords of Hellas, and it's a, a game about ancient Greece, mm -hmm. and it's, again, dudes on a map walking around fighting each other. Um, but I didn't back it because it was another $120 game. Right. And Rising Sun, even without the b bells and whistles, is a $120 game. Mm -hmm. And Green Horde, which I backed, which would have cost around 500 bucks to get everything, was a $120 game. And I started noticing, like, Rising Sun is an amazing game, and I love all the plastic i yeah. love the minis i love the different sculpts i love the kickstarter plastic token upgrades and all that stuff but if that game were just cardboard chits it would still be an amazing game right but they could probably drop the price down to like 50 60 which is much more reasonable like that's a normal board game price yeah and accessible to a lot more people and so I just started thinking, like, I'm looking, I, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I love, and the aesthetics are a big part of it, Yeah. Uh, just to play devil's advocate, because looking at that map, seeing a map full of minis from four different armies is more impressive than seeing a map full of cardboard chits from four different armies. At the same time, I'm looking at these games, and it's like, they're so expensive because you're playing... A premium price for a premium product mm -hmm. and I wonder because of that I I know I'm missing out on games I would otherwise really like to play uh, Lords of Hellas being one seventh continent was another one because I backed Scythe yep 
instead of seventh continent because it, for me it was one or the other. And Eric went the same way, and he he went the other way with it. And so he has he seven, seven continent, continent and, right? And, but I just I've just been thinking like how is there a market for a cheaper version of Rising Sun? I I would love to know that, and it's not. I mean, it doesn't stop with just Rising Sun or 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 Cooling right, or not right. or anything. It's, it's mm-hmm. it's just a, a, a trend I've noticed in gaming over the last year. At Gen Con last year, I was hard-pressed to find a game that wasn't either a living card game, mm-hmm. an expansion, or a giant game with 800 new minis. Yeah. And, like, yeah. I've, I've said it before. If a Warhammer player ever runs out of things to paint, he or she will die. <laughs> but I, I did my painting list the other day. And it's, you know, obviously Warhammer is, is the the bulk of it. But the further I get down, I start to notice, okay, um, Mansions of Madness, Tail mm-hmm. Feathers, Sector 6, Gears of War, mm-hmm. Labyrinth, mm-hmm. but these are not Warhammer. Mm-hmm. And it's because of all these giant Kickstarters that cost me oodles of money mm-hmm. that I am, like, you know, I, I love the minis, don't get me wrong, they all look gorgeous. And, and like with 3D printing technology where it is, I, I don't expect the level of detail to drop at all but i just think like i would have loved for there to be a cardboard standees version of mansions of madness or uh you know rebellion or imperial assault any one of those big hundred dollar plus fantasy flight games or or zombie side or rising sun exactly and that's exactly what i'm talking about because you wouldn't take away from the quality of game rising sun is it's an amazing game If anything, it helps because you get a better sense of what the characters look like. You get you get basically, I mean, you're, you're running into dead of winter territory at that point. They have gorgeous cardboard standees for every single character. Yeah. And you really yeah. feel that you, you get the grittiness, the uh, cold. I don't, you haven't seen the Rising Sun minis yet. They are awesome. And there's so many unique models per army even. Well, if, there's, if they're anything like the Besieged ones, then they've got to be great. Yeah, I mean, just giant cool monsters. They're even bigger than the Blood Rage monsters. Oh, man. And that's not even the thing. It's just, I I would, if, if there was this copy of Rising Sun out there, I would still get the copy... With the fancy minis and the metal coins right. and all this fancy stuff. But one thing, I it's its kind of like you have to, at least I do, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like for me a lot of times it's one or the other. Right. It's very rarely with these kind of games is there a cheaper option where, okay, I went all out for Rising Sun, maybe I get the cardboard standy version of zombie side Mm -hmm. now i i mean that might not even be an option i'd want because i might feel like i need those minis too but you know what i'm saying somebody else might rather than getting rising sun or lords of hellas go for the cheaper option of cheaper rising sun with cardboard and cheaper lords of hellas with cardboard yeah as opposed to picking one or the other with full plastic right i mean scythe is a good example of that because scythe we both got the the super super deluxe mega edition yeah yeah that came with the those resource instead of cubes we have like painted bags of wheat and oil barrels and all sorts of stuff but you didn't need that no it doesn't change the gameplay right and you you could get a copy of scythe for 60 dollars. yeah and and that's that's good because it kind of meets everybody gets a chance to play and you didn't necessarily have to 
I mean, I know I said it was Scythe or Seventh Continent, but that's but that's on me. I'm saying somebody else may have picked Scythe and Seventh Continent if there was a cheap option for both. I would definitely have considered it more strongly because, I mean, Eric and I talk about it all the time. Scythe and Seventh Continent really scratch a very similar itch. And yeah, I mean, if it, 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 for a lot of people, it came down to one or the other because mm-hmm. of that astronomical price point. And I, I wonder how many people would have been like, okay, if there was like a $60 version of either and I'm going to pay $120 for a board game, why not both? Right, and that's just... But at the same time, I, I devil's advocate to my own train of thought, but I don't know if I would pick a cheaper one. I might still buy one and buy the super deluxe edition mm-hmm. of one of them. Right. But there's got to be a market out there for people who just don't care about painted oil drums and special plastic minis that would buy both and i think the uh one company has identified that i i think there is an, a, a, a market for it gamelin games did heroes of land air and sea oh yeah i didn't even think of that there was a cardboard standees version of the game that i i don't have the numbers in front of me obviously but I'm sure, I'm sure we could get them. Maybe we'll report back on this. I, I would be willing to bet that that game sold almost as many copies with cardboard as it did with minis. Because if the game is good, it can stand on its own. And it doesn't have to be this over-the-top, beautiful miniatures, high production value thing. It can be a back-to-basics cardboard standee game and be just as fun. Okay, so I just I just looked up the page. Uh, so the the main pledge was seventy nine dollars. It says or more, but it's the core. Right. For one to four, it still comes with eighty miniatures. Yeah, it's still thirty two cardboard constructs. The next one was the deluxe, which was a hundred and forty dollars. Yeah. So a lot more, and that's one to six players. It added four more factions, a hundred and sixty miniatures, sixty four cardboard constructs. So I don't think that game actually fits. Does it, oh, does it not match up? No. Somehow I thought oh, there was well. a version of that that came out with all minis. Oh, we maybe it was the had. original version. Because remember, that one went up on Kickstarter to begin oh, yeah. with. That's... And then got changed. Yes, because they pulled it and then came back later. Yeah, I wonder then if if that if that change in the market was part of the impetus behind that change. We should send them an email and see if we can get a... a a comment on that yeah because i mean and like i said i don't know if i would ever buy both no I, I mean what is and a big part of these games is it's not like you need a good game yeah you need a good game at its core i really i love zombie side i love scythe i love rising sun these are great games and a big part of that though is the minis on the board yeah uh, more so for the the simon stuff so i don't know if i would back something with just like i keep saying it, it might not be for me but th- i wonder if there's a market out there but also it, i don't know if you've seen the lords of hellas i haven't so lords of hellas there's regular monsters you can buy but then there's three i think giant 122 millimeter minis they're not even mini at that point. That's it's huge. That's, yeah, that's that's not a mini. Well, it comes in five pieces, and part of the game is you slowly build that as the game goes. Oh wow! So how could you do that without the plastic? It just wouldn't have the same punch. But could you though? Like, I, I the question is, could maybe you? you? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what I'm trying to get at is, could you do that? And and would there be a market? Are there people out there? I mean, maybe that's a good question and people could 
Yeah, we would love to hear from you on that. Like, would you, if, if it came down to you have $120, do you buy one game with the premium package or two games at MSRP with cardboard sandies instead of miniatures? And this is all things being equal. All things These being equal. These are both games that are going to be great. You know, they'll both be the same score on BGG. We'll just say that you're going to get hours and hours and hours out of them. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting to see that that's where the board game industry seems to be right now is all about the minis. In some cases, I mean, at the same time, we just discussed Raxon. We just discussed escape the dark castle. And those aren't much more than, than decks of cards. Yeah. But I feel like that. I feel like there's no middle ground, I guess is what I'm saying. Like there it's either, it's either big box, bunch of minis, bunch of stuff going on or cards and like where games like champions of midgard which sort of well i mean scythe scythe basic or basic editions kind of a midground yeah right it's a 60 dollars game descent is descent's not in print anymore is it oh i don't know i don't think it is i haven't seen it on our shelf in a while but even like inish from matigo is like a 70 dollars game but if we're just looking at games that are coming out yeah like i feel like most of the games I've seen on Kickstarter lately are either cards or giant miniatures things. And I, it, and what's driving that? So if you're talking about Kickstarter, so you're talking either cards are kind of cheaper end to produce. Yep. And then the minis games being the premium product at a premium price style game. Yeah. I don't know if it's so extreme as to be one or the other. Uh, it's more just thoughts in my head. Well, I don't know. Dice? Cards? a book (laughs) a book dice (laughs) cards a book a book so yeah i don't know it's just it's more just i I didn't really flush it out i don't really know it's just an observation because i know i didn't pick up lords of hellas because i had two other giant games coming my way it wasn't so much a pick one or the other i guess it was a pick two out of three for me Mm -hmm. but would it would it have could it have driven you into pick three territory if they were oh that's a good question that's a good question and i don't know i don't know because knowing that there's a version of rising sun out there with tons of gorgeous plastic Mm -hmm. is that i mean is that just vanity what is that i don't know (laughs) and that's 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 why i think this topic is so interesting is because yeah it might be a little too deep for 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 just this this little conversation we may have to revisit this soon so maybe what we do is is we start talking people and we ask a couple people and then uh, maybe we get some uh twitter or email responses uh which have been coming in by the way thank you for everybody who's been emailing like we have we have some great fans we're really really happy to, to interact yeah. with you. um we've also you know we've got we've got pax east coming up we'll we'll i'll pitch it to people there and maybe after pax we'll talk about this again yeah that's a good idea that's in april so yeah. I mean, if if we if we get to it, we can get to it. I don't want to devote an entire season to this one. Yeah, exactly. Topic. But it is, I think, food for thought. Um, you know, just sort of that cost of opportunity. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if that option was there, would I even take it? I don't think I would, to be honest. I don't know that I would either. Like, I look at uh, Nemesis, which is on Kickstarter, or I may have just finished up. And Secrets right. of the Lost Station, I'm taking Secrets of the Lost Station every day, regardless of how much I'm paying for minis. Okay. Well, and that's a case that's a case where you clearly choose one over another though. Yeah. But again, like if they if they were both comparable price, if if they were neck and they and they were, like I my interest is there for both of them. Well actually uh, Rising Sun might not even be a good example, because I actually 
passed on both because I didn't want to spend the money. And then I was kicking myself super hard because I really wanted Rising Sun <laughs> only to find out Jesse had backed it for me, which was just the best gift. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it is. It's that. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the option. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this would be an interesting <laughs> one to come back to. And we'll, we'll see. Yeah, like yeah. once these games come in and get settled, we'll report mm-hmm. on how we feel about our decisions and whether they were the right ones or not. And, and well, whether so they far, were I changed. mean, having not played Lords of Hellas, I can't speak to that. Yeah. But Rising Sun, worth every single penny. Right on. Uh, I just, e- even if you can't get the, the Kickstarter stuff, just the base game alone is going to provide you with so much to play with. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a big, heavy box with a lot of gameplay behind it. So well, we'll have to get our yeah, hands on Lords of Hellas and recommend. see if you made the right right decision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, for now, if you want to check out some older episodes of the podcast, head on over to ghostshipradio.com. And to see some of our other work, facebook.com forward slash another letdown is the place to be for that. Adjacent Hex is published monthly by Ghost Ship Radio and is produced by Another Letdown Media. If you have some feedback for us, you can reach us on Twitter. My name is at D-E-N-O-N-C-Z-D, and Doug is at I-T-S-O-K-T-O-L-A-F-F, and our hashtag is hashtag adjacent hex. If you liked what you hear, make sure to subscribe and share with your friends on social media and in person. Also, make sure to drop by the Ghost Ship Radio website, where you can find a link to our Patreon. If you have something a bit longer to say to us, feel free to send us an email at theadjacenthex at gmail.com. From all of us here at Adjacent Hex, happy gaming, and we will talk to you next month. All right. In which Doug's got nothing. It's crazy. (laughs) This show is part of the Ghost Ship Radio Network. For more information, go to ghostshipradio.com.